Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookie. We acknowledge the Satuna, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Yeah, so Bill... You tell us whatever you want to talk about in terms of the... So, so first of all, yeah. just tell me about this podcast. Like, what, who, sure. Where do you find it and who, who listens? Who, who might listen to it? Uh, well, we get about 450 downloads a month. We've, yeah. This is our sixth year. Um, we started out as uh, like a, a very broad recovery podcast. So okay. it was like, um, at first it was like more chemical dependent kind of recovery from that. And then it oh. gradually went into chronic pain, different kinds of things that people live with that have to recover from. Then 2020 happened. And yeah. um, when, they, when they murdered George Floyd down south, that changed everything. Yeah. Like for everybody, obviously, but it, it also changed how we were approaching our podcast because we then opened it up to folks who were a part of Black Lives Matter or different things that were going on because those were stories that we had never heard. I had never heard. Yeah. Uh, not the real truth of what was happening to people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how we ended up here in a, in a place where now I'm really hoping to help magnify some voices in support of like freeing Gaza and ending the genocide. And, mm-hmm. um, and obviously, people who've been there have yeah. lots to say. Yeah. Um, I, I guess. What I would say is that, um, I mean, in my work, I've been, I've been writing about it, just kind of local stories about mm-hmm. people who have family there. And is it, are, we, are we recording? That's fine, yeah. if we are. Yeah, yeah we are. And, um, you know, that's something that I've done quite a bit of. I mean, I find myself writing a lot about war lately in the last mm-hmm. few years since the, since, uh, the Ukraine war started. Yeah. And, or got worse. Yeah. And uh, now... We've got this situation in Gaza, mm-hmm. and um, really, I, I have never seen anything so dire as these two conflicts. Mm-hmm. I mean, the size of them, the number of, um, of victims mm-hmm. is, um, is just really mind-boggling. I mean, I've, I've been to, I saw a very small bit of the war in Croatia in, in the mid-90s, Okay, and I yeah. thought... I I I, I I thought to myself I'll 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 probably never see another war another major war in Europe yeah. in my lifetime, 
and <laughs> here we are. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, in the Middle East. Um, and this comes you know, after a 25-year war in Afghanistan, pretty right. much. Well, yeah, and, and, yeah. and all the Iraq mm -hmm. and, uh, and Syria. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, so the Middle East, it's always, there's always been something going mm -hmm. on in the Middle East. Um, so I guess this comes as no surprise in Gaza. However, the, uh, the intensity and, and, the, uh, and the size of, of what's, just the intensity of what's going on in Gaza is, well, it's pretty clearly uh, mm -hmm. a watershed yeah. in this history of, uh, of the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict. Um, I mean, this is, it could be, it could be bloodier. I think it probably is. It is bloodier, actually, than the 1948, um, the Nakba. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and, and in a, you know, a pretty short time. I mean, yeah. uh, just the, uh, the, the amount of bloodshed and the, the size of the um, uh, displacement or, well, you know, ethnic cleansing, I guess mm -hmm. you could say is... Uh, well, I heard there's two million people displaced now. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Wow. Um, now, I spent a month there. I mean, if you really want to, really want to know what's going on there, really, truly want to know, you've got to spend a lot more time than that. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I spent a month there in um, late 1999. So this is quite a while ago now. Mm -hmm. However, I mean, it gave me a, a glimpse into um, the roots of what's going on now. Yeah. And um, you, 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 you can... You, a context mm -hmm. and I could tell you about some of what happened when I was there some of what I saw and some of the people I encountered um, and you know leading up to when I went into Gaza um, I, I would I had traveled all around Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories on the West Bank and um, even to the the border uh, with Lebanon and this was at a time when um, the Israelis were still occupying a southern strip of Lebanon and they were fighting Hezbollah. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I could hear some of the fighting from the, from the Israeli side of the border and you could see some, some stuff mm -hmm. from there. Um, I, didn't go into, I didn't go into Lebanon. I, I tried to convince the Israeli army to take me in there and they just yeah. they laughed at me. Um, I mean, I had, I'd made no preparations. Mm -hmm. I just showed up. Um, and I ended up, after that, subsequently I ended up in, um, in, a, in a place south, just south of Haifa, along the Mediterranean coast. Um, and I had to spend uh, Yom Kippur on the beach um, in this spot near this little Arab village called Furidis. And you, you see, you can't travel on, on a motor vehicle for a day and a half right at Yom Kippur. So I, I was stranded. I didn't mm -hmm. have, I had to stay there. And um, so I, I slept on the beach, and, but I encountered, I, I met some um, young Israeli people, secular Israelis who, mm -hmm. who were not, you know, they weren't religiously observing Yom Kippur, but if to them it's just a holiday. Yeah. And um, they welcomed me to their bonfire, and they had some interesting things to say about all of this, this conflict. Mm. One of them was a um, conscientious objector, and he said, he, you know, when he, when he did his mandatory stint in the, in the military, yeah. he, he refused to do it in the, in the occupied territories. 
mm. only in, uh, I'm only going to do it in Israel. Mm -hmm. And he was chided by some of his um, um, friends for that. And at that time, you know, there was some kind of optimism in the air. I think that mm. there would be some kind of a, maybe an agreement, a peace yeah. agreement with, well, with some of the, with, with Syria, with some of the, uh, with, with the, the Palestinians. Mm. And uh, at that time, it seemed like the Israelis were having a harder time getting along just among themselves. Yeah. And one of them, I remember, said, he said, oh, a year from now, I expect to be having coffee in Damascus. And um, of course, that didn't pan out. Mm. And uh, when I got back from, from this, this trip, I was kind of curious about this this spot I'd spent Yom Kippur at. It was a beautiful beach. It was a there was a there was a little it was kind of a resort area, really kind of a low income, low kind of a lowbrow resort. Mm. Um, and I noticed there was a, along the water's edge there was this very old stone building, um, derelict building, and I, I wondered where, what that was what that was doing there. And after I'd gotten home, I I did some research on this spot, and it turned out that this place was called um, Tantura, mm. and it was the site of a, a massacre during the Israeli War of Independence in 1948. Mm. And this had been a Palestinian Arab village, and um, this group, this armed group, this paramilitary group, uh, uh, Israeli paramilitary group, um, attacked it. And after a very short firefight, they subdued this place, and then they massacred quite a few um, disarmed people there mm. and, and kicked the rest of them out. Um, so, wow. Basically, I had, and there was, subsequently there, apparently there's been a mass grave found on that site. So basically, mm. where, I, where I was, you know, breaking bread with these Israelis, I was, it was on top of a mass grave, wow. as it turned out. So I mean, this was this was part of the ethnic cleansing. Yeah, it just one, it, one just yeah. one little corner of it. Yeah. at that time. So I um I made my way down the coast after that. Um, one, I mean, these these Israeli young Israeli guys were they're really nice bunch of people. Mm -hmm. One of them was a Frank Zappa fanatic. Remember, <laughs> and he he was he he took me to I, I got in his car and we he drove me down to um, Tel Aviv. And from there, I, I got a bus to um, Ashkelon, which is a smaller Israeli city um, along the coast, mm. just before Gaza. And um, so I spent a bit of time there. I spent a day or two there, and uh, um, I encountered some of these female Israeli soldiers on the beach. And they were part of the occupation force mm. that was, at that time, was still occupying... Um, of Gaza, you know, yeah. physically yeah. occupying it. There were there were still Israeli settlers there, and they were protecting them. Mm -hmm. And uh, to them, it was just just a job. And yeah. Um, and I, 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 but I had told some. Of, I, but I had made my mind up to go into Gaza, and I was trying to find a way there. And I was I went down to the bus station, and I encountered uh, this guy, and he he. He told me, I told him where I was going, and he was amazed, like, what? Mm. Why do you want to go into Gaza and see, be with those animals? Mm. <laughs> so I, um, wow, okay, sure, yeah. um, I'm, I'm going. Mm -hmm. um, so I finally found a way in. I finally got a ride into, into Gaza with the Israeli 
army. Mm -hmm. And there was a school bus full of, full of their occupation troops that were heading in there. And I, uh, so I caught a ride with them and they, they let me off at a place called the Edetz Crossing, which is on the northern edge of um, Gaza. And I, I, I got in there and, um, you know, I saw what it's like in there. And man, it's, it's pretty different from Ashkelon, I'll tell mm. you. No, the, no. Uh, oh, the, the amount of poverty, um, desperation. I mean, and this was, this was, this, these were in much better times yeah. than even a year ago. Yeah. Um, and, uh, this was a time when the, uh, Yasser Arafat was still in power. He still ruled over, over Gaza, mm -hmm. over the West Bank, at least, well, as much as the Palestinians could. Yes. And, um, however, Hamas was on the scene and there was a, um, there was, there was a dispute. I mean, there were, there were, there was tension, there were tensions between Fatah, um, Arafat's people and, and Hamas, and you, you could see it. I went looking for, um, Arafat's home mm. and I found it in this one neighborhood and it was heavily guarded. The, these Fatah guys had an armored personnel carrier there. Mm. And, um, there was a guardhouse right at the end of the street. And, uh, I was almost shot by one of his guards, mm. um, his AK-47 went off by mistake and uh, they were quite embarrassed. But um, this, was, this was the dynamic at that time. That would have been awful to get shot by mistake. Oh yeah, very, and they were, they were quite embarrassed and, and concerned because one of their, their commanding officers was on his way over there because he'd heard this gunshot yeah. go off. Um, wow. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it would have been quite pathetic actually. Yeah. Um, but um, I, Made my uh, made my way around um, Gaza on foot. Went to went through some of the refugee camps there, um, and you know how found out how the, the Palestinians there had much less access to proper drinking water than the Israeli settlers did there, and uh, they had for as a result of that there were plenty of kidney problems, yeah. <laughs> and um, one of the I I got in with a. Uh, a cab driver who had, he had actually lived in the United States for quite a while, but he had come back to Gaza, um, you know, with family connections. And so he was my cabbie and he stuck with me for this one whole day. Hmm. And uh, so he drove me around to some of the places that he wanted me to see. And, you know, he explained to me some of the complexities of what was going on in Gaza that they had issues with their own rulers. I mean, mm -hmm. he drove me past this one palatial villa. Uh, See, this is where our rulers, this is where our leaders live, and the rest of us have to live like shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they weren't, they weren't very happy. Yeah, um, people don't like that. No, no. Yeah. I mean, there's corruption there, and that's one yeah. of the reasons why Hamas got into power there is because of the corruption of the of uh, Fatah. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, Oh, I remember going into this one. It was a, it was the, it was a marketplace there, but everything had shut down. There was nothing much going on there anyway. There was, there were so few goods to sell, mm. and um, some of the, um, there was a, there was a group of young men, and one of them was, they saw me and they, oh, this American, a European, uh, what are you doing here? You must have money. So one of them insisted very aggressively that I. Um, take a ride in his cab 
and I didn't really need to, and, but he was very insistent, and I was quite concerned, mm -hmm. and his, his friends had to restrain him. But you know what? I mean, I, I, I can understand. I mean, it's, it's not his fault. It's, it's a reality there, and uh, I felt terrible, actually. Um, well, because they, they need the money to survive. Yes, of course, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they, they apologized, and they said, you know what? Yeah. Don't, I, don't, I don't really want your apologies. It's just, it's just, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, felt, I felt very badly. That was, that was a reality for these people. Yeah. They're trapped in this place. Yeah. Um, and shortly, a, minutes, a few minutes after that, I, I came across this um, building, and it was, well, it was basically their version of the Royal Canadian Legion. Oh, okay. So this was a veterans um, gathering place for PLO. Mm-hmm. Fighters, so I thought that was quite interesting, and I went in there, and I, I there were a few few of these older guys there, and I got talking to them, and I started interviewing them, and um, I said, well, you know how you're, how we view you in mm -hmm. the West. I mean, you're we, we consider you terrorists, and they they quite bristled at the suggestion, and they yeah. said, well, we're not the t we're terrorists. It's the Israelis who are the terrorists. Mm -hmm. They kill our women and children. Yeah. Like you should get this, get it straight. And they went on and expounded on the on mm -hmm. the struggles they've had, um, and you know, um, I mean, the, the most uh, seventy percent of the people living there are either refugees or descendants of refugees from places they've been mm -hmm. uprooted from in what's now Israel, yeah, um, and maybe some places in the West Bank too. Uh, and I, I mean, I eventually I I, I got a, an audience. I got an interview with. Um, uh, the housing minister there, and um, he showed me the deed for his property in what's now Israel, somewhere there. I, I forget where it mm -hmm. was now, but he told me, "Oh, this is see, this is the proof of where I've got a home back there, but it's been taken over." Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, he told me that if things don't get better here, there is going to be another uprising. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know they'd already had the first intifada about yeah. about ten years before that, and sure enough, a year after I was there, the second intifada broke out. Mm. So it was quite prescient. Yeah. Um, well, because they they understand instinctively by living there that eventually yeah. the pressure just builds too yeah. much. Right? Exactly. And that's what's ha that's what that's what happened. And yeah. The second one was much more violent. Yeah. The Palestinians were were more violent. Mm -hmm. than they had been in the first one. And the, the response was, accordingly, far more severe on the, on the Israeli side. Yeah. Um, yeah, violence with violence. It doesn't seem to be working anywhere on the planet, but here we are doing yeah, it again. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, and interestingly, though, I, uh, in one of, these, one of these travels around, uh, it was kind of on the edge of Gaza City, on the south side of Gaza City. And, um, I mean, was, I met some of these people, and they were just incredibly poor. Mm. Um, I remember they, they, their little boy had no pants. Mm. He was naked from the waist down. They had nothing, and yet they invited me in for tea mm. in their little shelter. Yeah. They, they, had a, they had a donkey. Um, and right behind them was this very tall Israeli army observation tower. Mm. So they're, they're checking everyone out. And, um, I went to this nearby settlement, Israeli settlement there, to I, I wanted to meet and talk to the 
to the settlers. And um, so the people at this gate, they were quite surprised. Like, who are you? I mm -hmm. told them, I'm a, I'm a reporter from Canada. And uh, so, oh, you, you can't come in here. And very, very quickly, some Israeli soldiers showed up. They heard, what, you, we heard something about some Canadian reporter here. What are, you, what are you doing here? What do you want? And I, I told them. And um, very soon after that, some Palestinian police showed up. Mm. So they were, there was kind of an uneasy detente between these two. I mean, they have to work together, right? They, yeah, but still. Most of the time they have to, but they, yeah. and I remember. Doesn't the, mean they liked it. Oh, no, they didn't. Yeah. And the, the Palestinian policeman said, oh, you're going to take pictures? Just make sure you're, you, you don't take any picture of us with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And neither of these people, neither side wanted their pictures taken with, with their weapons yeah. in sight. Um, they wanted them, so I took, the, I took a picture of these, the, the Israeli soldiers and they, they had their M16s slung behind their bodies. You could still see the straps. Mm. And I mean, it was the same thing. It's the same kind, of, like they're pretending that there's no conflict. conflict. It's like they want to pretend, it's just, mm. I, I find it very curious. And I found the same thing when I was in Croatia. Mm. Well, you take pictures of us, don't make sure we're not, you, you can't see our weapons. Yeah. Um, because they don't want to be seen as the aggressor. Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. And I, I find it just, I find it really weird, but I, I suppose it's not surprising. Well, it's part of that winning the hearts and minds, right? Yeah. 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 It's like that now that they know that, well, and it makes sense because now the whole world can see these pictures, right? Yeah. And yeah. So yeah. now they're trying to win our hearts and minds without even saying a word. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, this is, these are just some of the, um, some of the things, and I ran into one of the, I ran, actually ran into an Israeli soldier. I made another stop after that settlement. It must have been at another settlement. Uh, I was quite persistent and naive. And um, so the, this one Israeli soldier told me, you know what, you should just get, you should just, you should leave this spot right now because you might get into some, you might get into some trouble. Some of these other soldiers that are on their way, they're not going to be as nice as me. And he told me that he didn't believe in what he was doing. Mm. He didn't believe they should be there. And, um, you know, so we have our own country. Mm -hmm. It's, it's Israel. It's right over there. Mm -hmm. And one of the other stops I'd made, um, on the, on the West Bank was Hebron, which is a, um, which is a very unique, um, place in that it is the only, you know, larger size, larger, Palestinian city where there's an Israeli settlement right inside it. Mm. So you've got like 200,000 Palestinians living, living there and there's, a, um, there's just a few hundred um, Israeli settlers. Mm. And basically the, the Israeli settlers are the ones who well, really control the issue there. Mm. And, um, and there's, there's lots of Israeli soldiers there to, to protect them. Yeah. And again, I ran into it, one of the Israeli soldiers I ran into said, he didn't, he didn't believe in what he was doing, mm. that, um, and his, 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 the soldier with him didn't agree with him, just how oh, you should just, he, well, at least he told him to shut up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know really what he, what he really thought. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I found it interesting in that these were serving, mm -hmm. these were serving soldiers and I told them who I was. I told them I was, a, I was a journalist. Mm -hmm. 
So um, well, I've, I imagine for some some of those soldiers who are having these these crises of like obviously moral crisis while they're doing yeah. their work, eventually, hopefully, these folks will just stop being soldiers, right? Yeah, like, and yeah. they'll just say, well, "This isn't. We're not doing this anymore." Right. Well, they they do. the 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 men have to do two year mandatory, and That's after right. that, they they don't have to anymore. I mean, I think I think a lot of them have been called up again for Gaza. Mm-hmm. Um, the women have to. I think it's it's. They also do mandatory, but it's not as not for as long. It's for maybe a year, I think. Yeah, it's like a conscription, right? Yeah, 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 it is. But they all have to because they're, uh, well, they're they're an embattled state or consider themselves to be an embattled state. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, these are. I mean, a lot of what I saw really is it explains it. It provides a context for what's going on there now, mm-hmm. and it, it's just it, you, you can see some of the roots of this. Um, and so many of the young Palestinian men I ran into had been had told me about their experiences in in, in Israeli jails, mm-hmm. and they showed me the, their physical scars. You know, they're missing yeah. teeth, and they're you know they roll yeah. up their sleeves, and uh, it's. Um, it's a very difficult reality mm. um, for them, and you, it just, it's, it's all over the place. <laughs> and one of them, I remember, I was in, I was it in. It sounds Ramallah. heartbreaking. Sorry. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, I was in Ramallah, and one of these young guys, he, when when his when his friends weren't right there, he said, um, "Can I ask you something? Can I? Can you take me home with you? Can mm. you take me back to Canada with you? There's yeah. no future here. There's nothing here." Yeah. And yeah, it was really, it was very, it, that, was, that, that was very heartbreaking. Mm. Um, I mean, I had the, I had the freedom to, to come and go yeah. and uh, they were stuck. Yeah. So um, that's a, that's a little bit of, of, of what, uh, what I saw. Mm. Um, and you know what, uh, there I can, I can, I, at the same time, I can appreciate, I can appreciate some of the pressures that the Israelis are under. I mean, I was in the, I, I, in northern Israel, up along the, um, uh, the Lebanese border, mm. um, in the, in the Galilee, uh, is an area that's, it's kind of a panhandle that juts up into southern Lebanon. So they've got, uh, they're, they're, they're very close proximity to areas that are controlled by Hezbollah. And there are, it's they, they call it they call it Katusha Alley, mm. and they have they everywhere you go, you see these bomb shelters. Mm-hmm. Um, they they can expect to be rocketed at various times um, for various reasons. And right now, is it would be very mm. tense right there now. Oh, I imagine with um, because there there's been a low a low intensity conflict is, uh, has accompanied the one in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a low intensity conflict between the Israelis and, and Hezbollah, yeah, and um, so I mean there were there there are playgrounds where there are sure to be bomb shelters. Mm-hmm. There was a playground, mind blowing. Uh, it is, and there was a playground in a ta- and in one of the ta- one of the towns called Kuryat Shimona, which is notorious for being a, a rocket target. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this playground, uh, um, among the play objects, were there was a trio of um, self-propelled guns, like turretless tanks, mm-hmm. um, that were painted in kitty colors, you know, uh, b- 
bright blue, red, and uh, yellow. Mm -hmm. And they've been captured, presumably, from the Syrians. Yeah. And so this was part of their, their children's playground. Wow. <laughs> Unreal. So it's, it's all... They're, they're marinated in it. It's, mm -hmm. it's, not, it's, it's not very pleasant for them. I wouldn't imagine. That's like intergenerational, no. yeah. just compounding on every generation that comes after. Absolutely. Wow. And um, it's not getting any better. <laughs> I, I imagine it's getting it's, worse now. Well, it absolutely, absolutely yeah. it is worse, at, at, right at the moment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's, th those, are, those are some of the realities mm -hmm. that I saw, but... Um, if, if you have any questions. Oh, I, yeah, I, I just appreciate that because most of us have never been there and, yeah. and like myself included, obviously, and most of us have never seen what it's really like there because we've only seen it from one side of yeah. things for the most part, as you're well aware, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it, to, for my, what, what was it like when October 7th, it was the 7th, right? Yes. Because um, now that you've, you've spent time there, I imagine you feel somewhat connected and you probably think about that experience quite a yeah, bit. Yes, yes. What was it like? like I, I, I was horrified by what, what, what had happened uh, to mm -hmm. the Israelis. I was, I was, I, I just, um, why would these people do that? Why would Hamas do that? Mm -hmm. um, well, they, I don't, I, I, I don't, ex I would, I, I can't excuse anything, mm -hmm. any, any murder, the murder of any civilians like that. I mm -hmm. just cannot. Um, I, I think it's it's quite indefensible um, that that they that this would happen. But the, these people are kept in this uh, basically in this big cage, mm -hmm. and it's a it was a breakout. Um, it was a well these are but these are war crimes they committed, um, full stop. Um, and I knew what exactly I knew right away what was going to happen. The um, the. <laughs> The retaliation would be uh, pretty medieval, mm -hmm. and um, I mean, get, having gotten to know people in in uh, Gaza, I felt pretty. Mm -hmm. I felt pretty bad about that. I felt very sad. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just. I, well, because you know. have that, and the reason I, I mention yeah. it, I mean, there's like that extra layer when you've visited somewhere and you've gotten to know people from there, right? And. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's what's changing, I think, people's minds here in North America is that we're starting to be able to see more of the stories, right? And yeah. hear more of the stories from the other side. Yeah, yeah. And we're starting to, we're starting to, well, some of us are starting to get, like, maybe some empathy for yeah. Hamas, yeah. some empathy for Hezbollah, for these places that, yeah. don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't want anyone to die. Yeah. I don't believe any innocent people should be killed. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. I do, however, from a sociological perspective understand how it happens yeah, right like yeah. that these are these are results for like and consequences for things that have happened there's for a hundred years there's right? a resistance yeah and and, and oh, a lot of oh, quite often that resistance is going to take um, a a very gruesome uh, <laughs> put in a very gruesome appearance well because it doesn't Sadly. have the numbers right yeah oh yeah well yeah they're yeah. it's it's they're there it's a it's an asymmetrical warfare mm -hmm. I remember this one I, at the hotel I stayed at on the Gaza waterfront, um, there were one of the one of the employees there, and I still remember his face. He's, he he had this just just always a, the saddest face. Mm -hmm. It was just it never went it never changed uh, for as long as I saw him there, and he told me that 
you know, he had Israeli friends in uh, Tel Aviv. He, he really enjoyed, he really liked having those friendships with these, these, these Jewish Israelis. And, but he said, you know, in the last, last couple of years, he said, things have really take a turn for the, taken a turn for the worse. And I no, I no longer, I can really no, I no longer see them. I can't really, it's harder to get out of Gaza. Mm-hmm. And I no longer see them. And he told me that he, was, he found it very tragic that um, uh, he, one of the things he said, and this is what he said, was that um, Israel has lost its way. And mm-hmm. that's where, I, I wish it wasn't like this. And, and yeah. because I like, I like, I like, I like some of them. Mm-hmm. I had, some of them are my friends. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and there's been a number of uh, there have been a number of conflicts, a number, quite a number, quite a series mm-hmm. of Israeli bombardments of Gaza mm-hmm. over the last a number of years. Yeah. And I've wondered what's what's become of some of the uh, some of the people I, I met, um, and uh, and I met with some of these United Nations refugee workers too. Mm. And they told me about the the water situation mm-hmm. uh, facing these these uh, Palestinians in that. Uh, What's the water situation? I know there's like terrible. some kind of drought. Yeah, it's yeah. always bad because the water yeah. table's pretty low, and the and the, the Israelis were, are able to siphon off a lot. They of control it. it I mean, right? at that time, at that time, I mean, the the, the UN workers told me, oh, the the settlers they they fill up their swimming pools here in Gaza and, and <laughs> with with the. You know, mm. potable with a, with the drinkable water. Oh wow! So it was it was it was very tough. Yeah. Um, well, and that's when you start to look at genocide, right? Because yeah. you start to see what the Canadian government and the Crown did here to the Indigenous people of Canada, yeah. right? Yeah. Of well, of Turtle Island. We could just say the whole Turtle Island. It's like a systematic oppressive genocide, like where you don't even know you're in it, unless you're being the ones oppressed, like yeah. the other people who are doing it. Like most of the citizens of Canada have no idea, have no concept of what the government and the crown have done, not just here, but across. And that it's really just perpetuating it in Israel now, to some extent, right? Like, um, obviously, you and I, we don't want to see anyone get bombed. I I don't want to see that. Like, we we have the benefit, I guess, of being here in North America where we get to say, we don't have to take a side if we don't want to, right? Because... We don't want to see anyone get killed, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's like something that we can do anymore yeah. over here. Like I think we have to be taking sides, yeah. right? Like yeah. to some extent, like and not everybody, because not everybody can do the same things, and mm-hmm. um, not everybody can go and do the marches. Not everybody yeah. can do that kind yeah. of stuff. Like, and I just think, like to some extent, we have to find a way to balance the scales right so that we look at these things more balanced yeah, as yeah. opposed to we write the story therefore we are the victors therefore we are the good guys right yeah, and yeah. it's hard to see us as the yeah, good guys yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I found also really sad was when I was uh, I, I, I got into contact with um, some uh, uh, Palestinian government authority uh, Authorities there, some of their mm-hmm. staff, who were um, who handled um, media people, and they they told me that uh, they were embarrassed about having to live in Gaza. That they 
they they thought the place was very was a real shithole, mm-hmm. and they were, they told me they were they were embarrassed to live there, mm-hmm. and this was in the good times, mm-hmm. relatively good times. Yeah. And I, I uh, what do you say to that? Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I could tell them. You could tell them now that well, it's kind of embarrassing to live here now. <laughs> with some of the stuff going on. It's not quite as like terrifying, obviously, as living in Gaza, but it's like confusing. Yeah. Like it's very confusing, you know? Yeah. When when our governments talk about human rights being important and then they kind of shit the bed on some of it, right? Like yeah. and that's my opinion. I mean I, I I'm not a journalist. I am not um objective. I'm not objective at all. Like uh, I think that war is awful and I think we've done it a plenty. I think that like Yeah. We could we could stop this shit anytime. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's my opinion. Yeah, it's um I it's not I find it quite emotionally trying to talk to some of the local Palestinians yeah. about what's going on with their family members back there mm-hmm. now. And um and they're just despairing about ever ever being able to get their family members out. Yeah. Because the because of the immigration process, they say, and the and the, con, the, the immigration lawyers and consultants here are convinced that it is way more onerous than than it has been for any of these other immigrant uh, groups or, or endangered groups. And I mean, this is just what they're saying. I'm just yeah. telling you what they're saying. Oh yeah, but how and, could it uh, not be true? Yeah. Well, I mean, we we yeah. have a system that yeah. does yeah. kind of exclude certain yeah. folks. Yeah. Right. And, and these people, that another, I, I ran in, I talked to a couple of different families who had lost multiple, even dozens of family members wow. at, a, at, a, at, a, at a, sometimes at a single time, at a single mm-hmm. bombing. Yeah. Um, and um, it's, it's, again, like, what do you say mm-hmm. to them? It's, it's, it's very hard. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these are important stories to tell. Yeah, they and are. Um, some of the readers don't like it. Mm-hmm. They, they they call it propaganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not realizing that what we've been fed is propaganda for quite a long yeah. time. About certain issues, right? Like yeah. about certain things yeah. are, yeah, North America's been pretty quiet about them. Yeah. Um, there is a lot more open, there is a lot more openness and welcome for um, Ukrainian um, mm-hmm. um Newcomers, and I mean, I don't, I don't, I think they should be welcomed. Well, I think I don't they all should any, be equally I don't, welcomed. I don't think, I don't, I absolutely, yeah. I don't begrudge any of them. Yeah. Um, I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine living in a country that's under attack like that mm-hmm. um, and uh, having to give up everything to come mm-hmm. to go to, to go to another country, you know, <laughs> halfway around the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but there was a difference between how we welcome that folks from that conflict yeah. and how we're not welcoming yeah, in this conflict. Right. So there's like, in my mind, there's just an obvious bias that yeah. is um, like culturally wide, pretty much. It yeah. seems like it. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're they're convinced. These people are convinced it's a racism. That's what they're. Yeah. They. Uh, I believe. Families. It's there, yeah. there, there's a lot of. It's a, it's quite amazing. There there's quite mm-hmm. a large a, there's a fairly 
large Palestinian population in Calgary. I was in a Dollarama recently, mm -hmm. and I heard somebody speaking what I thought was Arabic, what I was sure was Arabic. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I asked this man, where is he from? Well, he's from Gaza mm. originally, and he, well, of course, he has he has family, he has relatives there, he has loved ones there, and he's very concerned about them. Mm. They've been chased from their homes, no, multiple times, just yeah. like the same story I've heard yeah. over and over again over the last couple months. Well, and now the story, yeah, that what I just heard today was two million displaced. So yeah. Yeah. that's that's a that's a whole lot of people. Yeah, um, where what's going to happen with them? Um, their yeah. infrastructure has been bombed out, um, like half of their homes or more than half of the homes have been mm. destroyed or really badly damaged. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Maybe maybe they'll rebuild it all and they'll stay. I, I don't know. We, we, yeah. I, I, who's, who's, who's planning this? Mm. Well, yeah, this seems like an American maybe planning, maybe some Americans planning this whole thing because it seems to be, well, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I've just seen... This stuff happens so often now. Yeah. It, it seems like it's just part of politics. So, yeah. Oh, the cynicism. The cynicism of it all. Right? I know. I'm so cynical now. But I, how, how do you not get cynical? I, I read this quote from, uh, I think it was James Baldwin. I don't know when he put the quote, but it was about rage, right? It was about becoming those who are like even just a little bit awake are constantly yeah. at rage or something yeah. like that, yeah. right? And I, I agree. Because when you start to realize, like, becoming more awake is not just about, like, one side. It's about becoming awake about all sides. And then you realize that yeah. all sides are just humans. We're just people. And what we're yeah. doing at the end of the day is we're killing other people. Yeah. And it's for nothing better than land or yeah. resources or yeah. what, what, other, what the other non-thinking animals do. Yeah. Right? And so here we are, supposedly top of the food chain. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, I oh, please, please, people, don't completely, don't totally despair. Yeah, it's don't, not. You know. <laughs> I, it's hard, and it's really tough, though. It's true. Like, we, how do we find hope? Like, I mean, people got to find it wherever they can, yeah. right? Because yeah. it is pretty disparaging out there. Yeah. Despairing, uh, sorry. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, that's. Maybe. That's good. Okay. Yeah, sure. that's perfect. Thank you so much for coming on.